0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. Last night I gave a little reflection about the priestly calling of all Christians. And I encouraged everyone that as a holy priesthood it's our calling to intercede on behalf of the world. And last night I was doing some reading and I came upon some words written by a fellow priest that kind of supplement what I said last night. So I wanted to share it with you to continue to inspire you to pray, particularly to intercede and to call upon the saints. He wrote this. Did you know that the saints don't act unless they're asked? They never impose. They don't invite themselves in. You have to ask them to help. Also, did you know that prayer releases the grace, the power of God? Prayer releases the power of God. God's grace is always administered personally. It comes from God, often mediated by others, from the saints on down to you, person. It's a lot like electricity. To get the power, there has to be a wire connected to the source to bring it in. Prayer is the wire. Prayer then is necessary to experience and to receive God's grace. Prayer opens the floodgates of grace because prayer reaches God who responds to you in, through, and by the prayer. So please never forget, unworthy though we be, it's our calling. It's our calling. To be that flimsy wire that serves to connect between God and the world that we live in. This is our calling as those who are a holy priesthood on earth. So that was like an appetizer. And here's the entree. Okay? Today I want to talk about enduring hardship. Our trial by fire. And building an enduring identity during hardship, or trial by fire, and building an enduring identity. You hear me say these kinds of things all the time, but I have to keep saying them, because this is uh, the process that we're in. What is the foundation of your identity? What's the foundation of your identity? If you're here in the church listening, observing, hearing, feeling, and being... I hope it's my fervent prayer that you would discover and understand and come to know that there's no other foundation that anyone can lay other than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. We heard this in the epistle reading for today. The foundation can be no other than he who is, he who is. And I remind you that on the icon of Christ often we see these words In the halo, ho-on, ho-on, I am the being, the one that is, the one that is. The one who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. There's no other foundation than the personal foundation of the reality of all existence, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. And as stated in today's most convicting epistle reading, what we choose to build upon the foundation, what we choose to build with upon the foundation, will be tried in the final day. The foundation remains, but what we build upon will be tried. Are we building with enduring materials? Are we cultivating a sense of identity that's consistent with the foundation upon which it's built? Do we think that today is any less important than the last day, the day of judgment? Is today any less important than that last day, the day of judgment? I ask that question because I beseech you. Do not think any less of this day than that last day. Don't think any less of this day than that last day. Do not, excuse me, do we believe that we will stand before the refining flame of the divine love and be revealed? Find hope in the prospect of encountering the unmitigated love of God. But also tremble. Remember, we approach the Holy Mysteries with such fear as those approaching the purest flame and squeaking out the words, Not into judgment, nor into condemnation, be my partaking of thy Holy Mysteries, O Lord. With what fear and trembling we approach the chalice. And with such fear should we consider our final trial by fire, the moment in which we encounter the fire of divine love. But we are constantly being prepared for that day. Our temple, our temple is put to the test. We're incessantly tried at every turn. And the materials with which our temple has been built are tried. And the integrity of the structure is revealed. The structure being tested is our very identity. Every time we experience a trial, the structure being tested is our very identity. The Holy Apostle Paul says, you are that temple. The temple tried. Of course, my identity is not made up of material things such as gold, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, stubble. Rather, though the foundation is set, the identity consists of some combination of virtues and vices. So which more readily define who I am? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Do these things readily define who I am? Or, more so, resentment, frustration, dissension, anger, rancor, selfishness, vainglory, and compulsion. These questions are worth asking. We're often tested and tried and revealed when forced, excuse me, faced with adversity. When we're faced with adversity, In the moment of trial, what do we become? Or rather, what's it revealed that's hidden beneath the surface? When we're faced with adversity, oftentimes what's beneath the surface is revealed, isn't it? I heard someone say these frightening words once. We are who we truly are when we're at our worst. Lord, have mercy. In the moment of trial, who do we become? Are we disoriented, lost, and confused? Surprised at the advent of adversity? Oh my God, what's happening to me? How can this be since our Savior made it so clear to us that we're to endure trials of all kinds? And what is adversity to those who live in relative comfort? As my daughter's kindergarten teacher often asked the children, is it a big problem or a little problem a lot of times the kids had to be honest with themselves and say it's a little problem (laughs) Why are you freaking out is it a big problem or a little problem it's a little problem (laughs) okay you can deal with it I'm reminded of the exhortation of the Holy Apostle James in the first chapter of his epistle probably the most famous words for all who would encounter any kind of adversity and not forget the foundation upon which their identities build. The text goes like this. James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. End of quote. Count it joy when you fall into various trials. Every trial we encounter is kind of an intermediate judgment. It's a judgment, a testing of our faith. See, a judgment is a testing of our faith. A trial is a testing of our faith. How humbling it is then when we're tried and judged. We're graced to be judged by our conscience in light of our circumstances. We have to allow our conscience to do its work. We're graced in the midst of trials and adversities to be judged by our conscience and to allow our conscience to do its work. God's given us the grace of enduring trials of many kinds that our faith might be tested, revealed, and strengthened. Kind of like the bone that's broken and becomes even stronger when it's reformed. to endure trials of all kinds is not to find ourselves lost in a fog yet another victim of the confusion of the fallen world rather to be faced with trials of all kinds is to meet the opportunity to develop a faith that might even be perfected trials provide an opportunity for us to develop a faith that might even be perfected, and it can be perfected if we look to the Savior. We will lack nothing if we trust in the perfection of our life by Christ. This is where I find the link to our gospel reading for today. The holy apostle Peter was a man of bold faith. And in today's stories, today's gospel story, Moments before he stepped out of the boat, he'd been scared out of his mind. He saw the Lord approaching, overcoming the laws of nature, traversing upon the water and coming toward the boat. What boldness comes and what confidence when we see what the Lord can do. He had immediate confidence when he saw what the Lord could do. So we requested, Lord, bid me come. Come. And the Lord bid him come. In a similar way, with what confidence do we look at our Lord upon the cross? What he accomplished? We trust in his salvation. The grotesque hatred of humanity was overcome by the love of God. And we love the cross. We confidently want to take it up to make it our ensign, And then what happens? <laughs> Back to our story. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. The quality of one's faith when tested is revealed. The quality when tested is revealed. The moment fear sets in is that moment when it was proven that Peter's fear of circumstance was stronger than his fear of God. Thus the torrents of nature overcame him. The one who was called to be master and steward of the world had fallen victim to the world. He lost his place, lost his identity. And the water, the water of course, could be anything that we allow to surround and suffocate and swallow our identity It could be a torrent of terrible tragedy in our life. It could be the experience of distraction. Drama at work. Annoying repeated behavior of children. The uninterpretable glance of the person at the market. Why do you look at me that way? All of a sudden I'm sinking. All of a sudden I'm sinking. And where do we go from here? What do we do once we start sinking? Well, I think we often tend to tread water and complain about our circumstances for a while before we do what Peter did. What did Peter do? Well, first, we, we analyze. We try to evaluate the motives of all involved. We get confused by the fact that we're experiencing difficulty. And then, when we're most desperate, we might ask for God's help. We might. We try to muscle through it, analyze it, figure it out. But with the Holy Apostle Peter as our example of both failure and recovery, we can follow his example. At the moment we begin to sink, to find ourselves submerged in a moment of trial, you see, we cry out, Lord, help me, right away, right away. Don't act confused and complain. Just ask for God's help. Lord, help me. When we pray this prayer, there's no reason to doubt that the Savior is present. Remember the words of St. James. He says, ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So we cry out, Lord, help me. And then we trust in the perfection that comes in enduring. In whatever manner the Lord seems fit, I have a quote to share. I've already shared with a few of you by Archimandrite Vasilios of Iveron Monastery in Mount Athos, and he says this: "The trials, the temptations that tried to destroy you, turned out to be your helpers." They did what you yourself should have done, but could not. I.e., they judged you (laughs) where you could not or did not judge yourself. You've experienced the truth expressed in the saying of the Desert Fathers, take away temptation and no one will be saved. They destroyed what needed to be destroyed but something appeared within you that cannot be destroyed because it has a different sort of endurance and a different nature that foundation see upon which our identity is built cannot be destroyed it rejoices in sufferings. in the end we're saved by what destroys us just as the seed is saved by its death in the earth when its time comes (coughs) salvation does not lie in our successes to our career in the realm of corruption but in the abolition of death and the kingdom of love, can we imagine a life with such a freedom, such a freedom as to consider it true joy when we're granted the grace of enduring trials and to even rejoice, to even rejoice in sufferings? Can you imagine rejoicing in sufferings that it might be so in our lives? This is my prayer. (coughs) Oftentimes I'm concerned that we see the Lord as one who kind of serves as a set of bookends for our life. See, God as a set of bookends. He was there mystically when we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We looked nostalgically on that day. Something precious happened. And then somehow mostly absent until the end when He will hopefully usher us into a blissful eternity. But I think at least that's how we often live. This is kind of a fearful consideration because, as I mentioned at the beginning, today today is no less important than that last day, that day of judgment. Today could be the last day, couldn't it? I could be done before I go back there. Today could be the last day, therefore this moment is critical. Eternity exists in this very moment. All is summed up, my birth, life, death, judgment, here and now. The Savior is always the source of life. Not just the one who serves as the book ends. Not only our origin and our destination, as we often treat him as being, But he must also be our constant. So we live as those who have a joy that cannot be removed. For it's a joy that's defined by the eternal reality of perfection in Christ that can be attained by all who would take care to build upon the beautiful foundation that's been set. Wherever we may be, we're always here. And to be here means to be present with the Lord. Whatever you may be, you are here. And to be here means to be present with the Lord. Therefore, it's always good for us to be here. Let's fix our eyes on Him and endure all things that our faith might be brought to perfection in Him. It's okay to cry out and shed tears on this journey. Those who sow in tears shall reap joy. And the bones that be broken, they shall rejoice. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us, O God, by thy grace. Amen.